Good morning. It's good to be here. Good to see each of you out here today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your participation, your sacrifice in being here this morning and dedicating some of your time and effort to praise and worship God. If you're visiting with us, certainly we want to welcome you. We hope that you're comfortable. We hope that you're edified and that you're blessed in some way by being here. And most importantly, we hope that you find the services to be according to God's word. We're involved in a series of Sunday morning sermons where we explore the basic tenets of our faith. And we describe those and we talk about the basic tenets of our worship, the building blocks of our worship as well. So this morning I'm talking on something I've never spoke on. I don't know that I've heard more than one or two lessons on it. And you hear a lot of this sermon on TV. We hear a lot about the contribution on TV. We don't talk about it much. We don't talk about it much. There were many years ago, wasn't that many years ago, but I guess it was, but the church had a, had a hard time funding its work. The church at one time had a hard time funding evangelism, helping those who needed help. That's not the case today. This is a very generous congregation. We have evangelists that can call this congregation saying, we've got a need. We've got a project. We've got something that we need. And we talk, but Nathan and I in particular know that the other one's going to agree. And those evangelists know that they can depend on this congregation to help them. Last year, we sent people to Europe. We sent a delegation to Europe, to England and Western Europe, to explore some some possibilities there on evangelical efforts. We sent another group to the Philippines to, again, explore the, this type of things. We fund several help to support several different evangelists. We support evangelism all over the United States and all over the world, in particular three countries, India, Belize, and Nigeria. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. So this is not a lesson chastising in any way. But I think as we consider, see where I'm at here, as we consider the contribution, I think it's important that we know scripture so we can make this decision in our heart. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, it's a, this is a powerful little passage of scripture and we're going to explore that more. But that's the basic tenet and we, we hear this phrase all the time. Every Sunday, practically, we hear that as we purpose in our hearts. But let's consider the world view, the denominational view, if you will, uh, to start tithing. And I commend friends of mine who believe in this. Had a friend of mine worked with him many, many years, and he hadn't been going to church, and his children had been after him. Dad, you have to get back in church. You have to get back in church. He said, okay. He finally agreed went back to church, but he said, you have to understand that I'm going to be spending your inheritance because I'm going back to church to tithe. He was very diligent. Everything that he made, every bonus that he got, the church got 10% minimum. And, and I applaud his generosity. I applaud his faithfulness in doing that. But what does the Bible say? These denominations, most of the denominational world will tell you that this is compulsory. Tithing is mandatory. And a couple of the reasons for that is not only was it 
commanded under the law of Moses, but it was also, it predated the law of Moses. So to tithe or not to tithe. And there are variations in this tithing. Some require a tithe on your gross income. Some just after taxes on the net. Some require a tithe on unemployment benefits, counting that as wages. Some on inheritance, on monetary gifts, on tax refunds, on Social Security, on tips, and even on gambling prizes. And it's not uncommon to receive a request from the congregation for a W-2 form so they know how much your tithe should be. Pretty common. But let's look at the only, only two examples in the Old Testament of tithing that took place before the law of Moses. One was by Abraham and one by Jacob. So first Abraham, the king of Sodom had joined in a rebellion against the king of Keterlaomer. I hope that's correct. But th this powerful king and his, his group of kings that were with him, hundreds of thousands of armies, and they, re Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against them and they were thoroughly defeated thoroughly defeated. And these kings, these pagan kings, carried off Lot and his family and many, many others. And Abraham gets word of this, that his nephew, Lot, has been carried off in captivity. And he gets 318 of his closest men, men who, had, who were born and raised in his tribe, in his house, so to speak. And he thoroughly defeated. They call it the slaughter in the King James, the slaughter of Keterlaomer, however that's pronounced. And he's headed back. And this is what happens after he came back from defeating all these kings. Genesis 14 and verse 16 tells us, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot. That's a nephew, actually. And his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Keterlaomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abram, the God of God most high. Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, that's Abram, Abraham, gave him, gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. So that was the first instance of tithing that we see recorded in the Bible. But a couple of things we need to notice about this. Number one, it was from the spoils of war. It wasn't tithe on his income. It was a tenth of all the spoils of war. And it was voluntary. It wasn't mandatory. And it's the only example we have of Abraham tithing in any way. And he worshiped God for many, many, many years. Father of the faithful. He worshiped him for many, many. The other example we have is Jacob, Genesis 28. In this chapter, we have the account there of Jacob's ladder. Jacob is going to seek a wife, and he's also running from his brother Esau. And he gets tired, and he lays down to, to sleep for the night. And he sees this amazing dream of this ladder that, that stretches all the way from earth to heaven, with angels ascending and descending on this amazing scene, Jacob's ladder. It's referred to as. And on top of that ladder, the Lord is standing up there and he confirms that Jacob is the seed of promise. He passes on Abraham's promise to Jacob. He said, you will be blessed. In your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And, and so Jacob wakes up 
Here we take up the reading in Genesis 28 and verse 18. The Bible says, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that, had, that he had put in his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. So he consecrated it. Verse 19, And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, okay, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. In other words, Esau won't get me. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me that God gives to me, Jacob, I will surely give a tenth to you. So, so far, the only two examples of tithing that took place before it was mandatory in the law of Moses, one was the spoils of war, and Jacob's was pretty conditional. It was kind of, you know, at this, at this point, Jacob was, Jacob means heel catcher. He had grabbed on to his brother's heel because Esau was born first. And then he had robbed his brother of his inheritance. And if this is our service to God in a very conditional, if you'll do this for me, you know, we make promises sometimes when things are bad. When, and, and this was a very, very difficult time for Jacob. It was a very difficult time. But he made a lot... A lot of conditions. I'll give you a tenth, but okay, let's see. If you'll keep me going this way that I'm going, and if you will give me food to eat, and if you'll give me clothing to eat, and if you will bring me back to my father's house without Esau killing me, then I'll give you a tenth. Both of these examples are not exactly what we can hang our hat on, is it? Neither one of these. The only two examples of tithing that took place before the law of Moses. And there was a purpose for tithing under the law of Moses. The commandment that tells us, tell, told the children of Israel to tithe, told them why. Numbers 18, verse 21. Behold, I have given the children of, of Levi. That's God said, I have given the children of Levi. That's the tribe of Levi, the Levites. And that was the Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and, and those who were not priests. They didn't receive an inheritance. Twelve tribes of Israel, Levi's, the tri tribe of Levi, did not receive a plot of land like all the other tribes did. They had no way to support themselves. They were supported by the tithe of the other 11 tribes. I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they performed, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. The tent of meeting that, that they were worshiping in at that time, the Levites took care of it. The Levite provided everything that was necessary for that. And this was a huge organization. Eventually this spread out for the temple, tabernacle, synagogues, all those type things. All the worship was funded by the tithes, a huge organization that wasn't just in Jerusalem, spread out all over the world. Christian church has no established worldwide, nationwide organization. But as I'm looking through this, I was pretty amazed to find out that it's not uncommon for Jewish leaders, their religious leaders, to refuse a tithe. I don't know how they fund things. I, I don't know how that happens. But they refer to this passage and say there is no tribe of Levi. There is no temple. We're not funding the, 
the tribe as it's commanded here. So they won't take. To their credit, they won't take tithes. I'm sure some do, but I was surprised that they're apparently it's pretty common for leaders to refuse that tithe. See, Christ has made us priests and kings. Jesus tells us that here. Revelations 1 and verse 4, 4 through 6. We won't read that. Christ, the faithful witness, verse 6, tells us has made us kings and priests to his God. Each congregation is autonomous. Each congregation fund themselves. We're not paying for priests a long ways away. And we're successfully doing that. You can tell by the number of things that I pointed to that this, that this congregation is helping to fund. Matthew 23, Christ rebukes the Pharisees for overemphasizing the tithe at the expense of the more important things. He said, Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. So even the smallest spices, they measured it out and gave a tenth while they were planning the murder of Christ. He said, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done. You should have tithed correctly, but not leave the others undone. Blind guides who strain in a gnat and swallow a camel, emphasizing the tiniest things ceremoniously. But in their heart, where was the mercy? Where was the justice? Where was the faith and the faithfulness? So, how about the New Testament? You know where I'm going. There are no passages in the New Testament commanding Christians to tithe. None. There, there are no examples in the New Testament of Christians tithing. There aren't any. But, you know, there's a but. There are multiple passages commanding Christians to give. Multiple passages giving examples of how, when, and where that giving should take place. And that's what I want us to look at for a few minutes this morning. So when we purpose in our heart and we decide what we're going to do, we'll have biblical scripture to refer to. 1 Corinthians 16 is a collective commandment to the church at Corinth. It's a commandment to the entire church. And here's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 16 1. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also to the church. Do this. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. A lot packed in there. First day of the week. We do that. We have two boxes back here, one box downstairs. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up. Supposed to store that up and bring it? No, you store it up here in the church treasury so that there be no collections when he comes. As he may prosper. This person has plenty of money. This person doesn't have any. As that person prospers, do that. How about individual commands? Hebrews 13 and 15. Paul says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And giving is a sacrifice too. We'll get to that in a minute. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Do good and share occasionally, regularly. First day of the week and regularly, continually, it says here. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, where we started. 
So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. It was a necessity under the law of Moses. It was the law. It was a commandment, willingly. Luke 6 and 38, I don't have it on here, but it says, give, and it will be given to you. Commandment to give, and that's Christ. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom for the, with the same measure that you use, it will be, will be measured back to you. So we're commanded to give individually and collectively as we purpose in our hearts, not of necessity. Collection taken each first day of the week according to prosperity, not necessity. Storing up for future needs. Individuals need to be ready to give continually. Evangelists call us and say, we've got a tornado, so-and-so. We've got, we've got a, uh, a missionary where we're going to the Philippines. And we answer that call. Thanks to you, we are able to answer that call. Give as we purpose in our hearts, willingly, cheerfully, not of necessity, not because it's a law, because we're, but because we're thankful for what God has done for us and ultimately what Christ did for us. A couple examples of churches giving. First one I will talk about is Philippians, the fourth chapter. And he's writing to them, explaining, um, detailing a little bit why they are, what he's using the funds for and how this came about. Philippians 4 and verse 9, he says, The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. A little phrase right there that I want to stop just for a second. The things we've learned, okay? The things you received of the apostles in the scripture, the things that you have heard from us in the scripture, and the things that you saw him do. That's, an, that's a commandment to follow his example, to follow the examples. We spend so much time in the book of Acts, and we're studying that on Wednesday night, a little plug there. But why do we do that? Because it, Acts exemplifies what the commandments were, puts into practice all the commandments for the rest of the Bible. It details how that was applied through examples. And he's telling us a commandment. These do, including follow his examples. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content he didn't need their money. Hmm. Think about that. Verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. So he was distressed, but he said, I didn't need your money. I didn't need your gift, your gift but you did well in sending it. Verse 15, now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. There was a terrible thing going on in ancient Greece at that time. The lower part of Greece, as Ian talked about Wednesday night, was Achaia, and it was a wealthy area. It was Corinthians. Over on the other side was, was Athens, a very wealthy, affluent area. Farther north and to the east, the top part of what's Greece now, was Macedonia. And they had gone through one civil war after another with the Greeks, and then the Romans took it over, and they rebelled again, and they, it was devastating. What had happened to that area, there was no way to make a living. They destroyed cities. And then we have the persecution of the church. 
the Jews started it and the Gentiles took over. And it was horrible for the three churches, main churches that were in Macedonia. And that's Philippi, make sure I get this right, Philippi, Thess Thessalonica, and Berea. Those three main organizations. But he's bragging about Philippi. He is so amazed with what they did in this terribly, terribly poor area. Verse 15, now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, okay, down to Achaia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They still, even in their terrible state, they still gave. Continuing on, verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, went to that poor, poor area, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift. Again, I don't seek it. I don't want it. I'm, I'm abounding. I'm doing, I'm doing well. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Why? Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Powerful passage. I don't need it, but I'm taking it. Would it be put to good use? Absolutely. Absolutely. But he knows how to suffer need. He knows how to suffer about it, and he calls it a, a gift to God. This monetary gift that was sent to Paul was a gift to God. It was doing God's work, doing his work. Do you ever, do you ever buy flowers? have to do that to your kids sometimes. You have to give them the money to buy flowers. Do we... Do, your mom, your grandmother, your aunt, your teacher, whoever this may be, do they need those flowers? No, they don't. Is it an amazing gift? Absolutely. A sweet aroma. When you walk in the room, that amazing aroma is, is just so pleasant to behold. Sweet-smelling aroma. This was a sacrifice to God. God provides us the means to bless him, to give some back so that the church work can continue. Did Paul have to have their money? Absolutely not. Did God have to have our money? Can he accomplish everything that he needs to accomplish without us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So why? So why do we do this? So it's well-pleasing to him. Why do we do this? Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. We are charitable. We are generous for us. For us. Paul didn't need their money. He now has an overabundance. He did that for us. Charitable organizations will tell you that for every, for every donation they get, there are three gifts received. The first one is to that organization, certainly. The second gift received is the one when they take that, that gift in and deliver it to someone who has a need. And the third gift is to the person who gave it. That generosity is its own reward. That generosity God blesses willingly, not grudgingly or of necessity, cheerful. Fruit that abounds to your account. It's for our benefit. That generosity rewards us. Fruit. Was that fruit of the Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, 22. Absolutely. Wouldn't we want to abound in each one of those nine aspects of our Christian? Abound in that 
those aspects of our Christianity. God doesn't need the money. I bought my mom one time, got the money from mom and dad, and for a gift of some kind of Christmas, I don't know what it was, some special occasion, I bought her the ugliest vase you have ever seen. It was about this long, and it was different colored glass, and it nearly looked like Aladdin's slipper or something with a point and then a curl on the back, and it was green and purple, and, and she saved that and gave that to me 20 years ago. I had forgotten how ugly <laughs> that vase. I took, I got the money from mom and dad to buy her something. Oh, this was, I, I don't know how she kept it. Maybe she put it in the attic. Maybe it was in the garage. Does God have to have our gift? No. That meant the world to me that she kept it, that she sacrificed by taking it and keeping it, by buying it for herself (laughs) with the money she gave me. Can we see a little bit of our Heavenly Father in that, how He funds what we do? He finances it. He blesses us in so many ways. And we give a little peace back to Him. Does He need that? No. Does he bless us for doing it? Absolutely. Absolutely. What about an account? Do we have an account? Fruit that abounds to your account. Is there a ledger somewhere? Jesus said, Matthew 12, verse 36, But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Christ washes that account clean, wipes that ledger board clean. But as we do these things, we give an account Romans 14 and 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So we have to give account for all that we do, including contributions. Hebrews 6 and 10 tells us, For God is not unjust to forget our work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister to the saints. Do minister, serve, fund that service. Fruit that abounds your account. That's what Paul desired. He didn't desire the gift. And that abounds is super abound, means exponentially, means doubling and tripling to our account. So contributions we make to the church, treasury, are gifts to God. Donations we make to charities, individual donations, to assist others, to alleviate suffering, those type things are also gifts to God. When they're giving willingly, when they're given willingly, with purpose, In thanksgiving and cheerfulness and love, we are pleasing to God, even though he funds every bit of that. And these acts will be remembered. They will be remembered. God commands us to be generous, not because he needs it, because we do. It's for our benefit. So how much? 800-pound gorilla in the room. How much? Well, we've already said the tithe is not in the New Testament. It's not, is it? So how much? We have the widow and her two mites. Very famous, very famous Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. And we don't have anything that would relate to that smallest coinage, a couple of pennies. A couple of pennies, the equivalent to that. Verse 43, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than they all. More than all, more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So what can we learn from this? 
Jesus celebrated her gift. He regarded it as greater than all the others. Two pennies, equivalent of two pennies. Her gift confirmed her trust in God because it was all that she had. The Pharisees had also put in a law saying you had to give two. So she even obeyed that command and it was sacrificial because there was absolutely nothing left. Can you imagine being at the point where you had two cents left to your name? And you might be able to buy a poor widow. She had no way of making money to the point where she might have been able to go out and get a little something to eat. She might have been able to, to ease her misery just a little bit, but it was going to be temporary. God could make better use of this even than I can and put all of it in there. Nothing left. How bad would it have to be? And certainly we have trials and tribulation. We have difficulties and things get bad. But this lady still remembered God above everything else. It also tells us that every gift given is evaluated, is judged, is weighed in the balance. also tells us the poor may offer very valuable contribution. The contribution, the tiniest possible contribution that was given over 2,000 years ago is still teaching us today and still has amazing lessons to teach us today. The widow's gift counted more than all theirs, and some commentators tell us that this means all of them together, grouped together, didn't equal her two cents. Her amount was tiny, but much more meaningful How's that possible? How's that possible? Many gifts were huge. In all likelihood, they were tithing, 10%. And these are wealthy people who had much, giving much, beautiful gifts. How is it that theirs didn't mean as much? This account teaches us that God measures generosity a little differently, a little different rule, by the rule of what we have left after we give. Was there any sacrifice there from the wealthy? I don't know. Maybe there was. Maybe there was. Do we consider that? Do we consider our gifts as sacrificial? Where we might have to put off uh, buying that whatever or doing a certain thing and put that off. Are we actually sacrificing wealthy, wealthy nation? So wealthy. Because going by this rule, these beautiful gifts were judged as lacking. And many today may be also we have responsibilities. Wait a minute, Lonnie. We have responsibilities. We do. And I can't tell you how much to give. I don't get to do that. The New Testament doesn't do that. I don't get to either. And we have responsibilities. Proverbs 13 and 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. First Timothy 5, Paul said, but if any provide not for his own and, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. We have responsibilities. No one's saying that you don't have that you don't have legitimate responsibilities. We're commanded to take care of our own. If a man doesn't work, let him not eat. Another example, 2 Corinthians 8. When you get time, read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is of some uh, these congregations giving, and he goes into great detail. The entire chapter of 8. Chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. We'll read a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 8, starting there in verse 1. Another opportunity for the churches to, to fund the needy. And he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That's the poor area we talked about, northeast Greece. What is Greece now? That in great trial of affliction, 
The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were poor, they were uh, destitute, they were being persecuted, and they still gave liberally, generously. Verse 3, for I bear witness, and according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they, f- they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. A year ago when this happened, these these churches, had to, they weren't going to ask because they were in too bad a shape. They implored them. The King James says, we prayed them, begging them to take our money. Let us enjoy participating in this, assisting in this. Verse 5, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this gift in you as well. But as you abound in everything, that's super abound, as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, that speech is in doctrine, in preaching, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace too. A year ago, you had promised to do this. We said, no, the time's come. Do it now. We told you it would happen later. Do it now. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Okay, Corinth is wealthy. He's telling them all about the poor churches in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi who were so generous. He said, I'm not giving you a command, but he's, we're going to compare. We're going to compare. We do that today. We get a call and say, well, how much are other churches getting? We will ask that. And they will tell us we're trying to get so and this amount from so many, from 10 different churches. And so we still do that. But he's also letting them know you're a lot wealthier than they are, and they were very generous. You promised to do this a year ago. We told you no. Do it now. Verse 8, I speak not by command, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. As we purpose in our hearts, but according to ability to give. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who's gathered much has nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. We help people. We help other congregations. We help ministries. We help evangelism in the hope that each one of those cases, those people were able to, we give them a hand up. And those people hopefully are able to pull themselves up, help others get to the point where they can help, pay it forward. That's our goal with helping people, always has been, always will be, to help that person a little bit so that person can get to the point where they can pay it forward and help someone else. The rest of that chapter 2 Corinthians 8, in the first few verses, 2 Corinthians 9, he's again talking about, okay, I've been bragging on you for a year. I've been telling, telling people that you can do this. 
that you're going to do this. Now here's your chance. And then verse 5, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give as you purpose in your heart. But he gave a lot of information before he got to that, didn't he? He's even putting pressure on him to do that. And verse 8, powerful passage. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Brothers and sisters, if we have a generous spirit, God will bless us with the ability to express that generosity. All right, how do we sum this all up? Christ raised the bar on the world, on the law of Moses. Christ raised the bar. The old law said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Christ doubled down on all that. He said, absolutely, that's all correct. But don't even be angry with your brother. Don't even think about committing that adultery. Don't even think about stealing that person. Don't covet his stuff. Double down on every bit of that. He raised the bar. The Jews said, an eye for an eye and ate your enemy. What did, what did Christ say? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor and love God. Stress love. What else? Greed, power, and ceremony to the nth degree, tithing a little bit of pepper, a little bit of salt, a little bit of chili powder, 10%, neglecting the weightier matters of the law, generosity, mercy, sincerity. Christ raised the bar. We're the most blessed people in the history of mankind, and certainly the most blessed nation in the history of mankind. Jesus said, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Does our giving raise the bar? These are questions you have to answer yourselves because only you, as you purpose in your heart. I just wanted to give you some scriptures that you can consider as you make this decision. There are boxes there and there. No one's going to send you a W-2 form. No one's going to scrutinize. Well, did he give, you know, uh, we don't do that. We don't do that. We leave those back there. We started that during COVID and we left that back there because it allows people to do this uh, privately and do that. And we're not passing a tray down through there and then grabbing real quick. And all I got is two bucks. All I got is two quarters, whatever it may be. Do this with purpose. As we purpose in our heart, that means beforehand. We do it willingly, prayerfully, purposefully, with resolve. We do it cheerfully, with thanksgiving, generously. That's sincerely, that's sacrificially. Luke 12 and 42, to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Someone let Karen in, please. As we purpose in our hearts, a lot to think about as we make our own decisions on how much to give. And again, you're very generous. You've raised the bar. I hope you'll continue to do that. It's for our benefit. Also for our benefit, you can become a child of God. Also for, for your benefit. We don't scrutinize the contribution. We don't scrutinize your baptism. 
your salvation, we encourage everyone to scrutinize their own. It's the most important thing you will ever do to be buried in the waters of baptism. We have clothes. We have water. It's even warm. If there's a gospel subject that would obey the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, any way we can assist you with that or with the prayers of the church for any reason, we invite you to come, sit on the front row, and let your wishes be known as we stand and sing.